dealing with loss and then found the subject probably out of all of the New Testament parables. This uh, uh, is very personal to me. I, I do not um, claim at all to be uh, proud of my life, uh, but I am a prodigal son and uh, that uh, received uh, the, uh, the forgiveness and grace that I was extended when I was 22 years of age. And, uh, and so every time I go through this, it's remarkable how God just continues teaching uh, new things. And uh, not that it's anything new, but it's just amazing the depth of what this subject and what this particular part of this parable means. Uh, and I think if you look at the other two stories that were connected to this one parable, the lost sheep, of course, the lost piece of silver, uh, many believe it was a coin, uh, were really uh, not people. Uh, this one transitions into an actual person, a boy, a son. And there's, uh, there's three major characters in this part of the parable. You have the, uh, the son that uh, went into the far country. You have the father. And then you have the son that um, was uh, the elder brother uh, that was angry with his younger brother when he returned. Now, if you look at the primary interpretation of this passage, it, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's really addressing verse number two to the scribes and the Pharisees. And they're upset and they're murmuring because the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to publicans and sinners. And so when you see this, uh, the reason for it, it, it will actually help you understand the interpretation uh, in what Christ is doing uh, to uh, to those that were the scribes and the Pharisees. The big hook, any time anyone that does any sermon preparation, uh, any time you do that, you always have a hook. Uh, you, the hook is the truth. What are you trying to trying to get across? And the hook in this sermon uh, comes when the elder brother is mentioned. Uh, and the elder brother is a picture of the lost house of Israel, the religion of Israel, and uh, the, uh, the younger son is a picture of, of those that are getting saved, the, uh, the sinners. They later became the church. And the uh, father is a picture of God, and that is clear in the, in the passage. Uh, as I mentioned last week, if you fast forward the story from here, after the father receives the, the younger from the far country, the older brother upset with this, Later, if you look at the type as it moved forward, uh, the older brother would have eventually killed the father. And then the younger brother would have gone into hiding and, uh, and been persecuted by the older brother. And that, has, that is how church history has played out. So that's the primary interpretation of the passage. But there are many applications. There's applications to those that have lost their way, uh, those that are, that, are, that are saved, and they just they get lost. Uh, and they get tangled in, if you would, the web of sin. Uh, and it talks about the, uh, uh, that in First Peter chapter 5, verse number 8, where uh, the, the Satan walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That means we are devourable. We can be devoured. We, our testimonies can be devoured. Our marriages and, and our lives can be devoured. We can waste. The word prodigal means waste. The word prodigal is not in the passage. We've named that. Because it means waste, and that's what this boy is going to do. 
And so there's many applications. And so the other application is the lost sinner that, uh, that uh, is lost and needs to be found. It needs to come back. Okay, get saved. So let's uh, kind of move through these, if you would, and look at this lost son. This, again, the third part of a parable, one parable. And again, it's all for the purpose of getting these scribes and Pharisees to understand God's value on one, God's value on one of ten, one of a hundred, one of two. And, uh, and ultimately, the heart of God, to understand that. And I think if you've in any, been in any church any length of time, you and I can lose our heart for people. I mean, you just become religious. You become, because we, 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 can, we can actually self-destruct. The churches mostly are uh, prone to be destroyed from within, not without. And so we are, uh, and can be careful that we, are, we do not adapt what the elder son did, which would be, of course, what the, uh, what the uh, scribes and the Pharisees were doing to the sinners. Now look at verse number 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed a swine. And he would fain have filled his belly uh, with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of the hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And but the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Father, we thank you for this parable. We thank you for what it means. Lord, I pray that you bless and help us, Lord, as we do move through this and all of us can place ourselves into the story. And I do pray that you'd help us to make application, clear application to specific needs in our life today. We pray if there's one that's watching online that's lost, they get saved. If there's one in the auditorium today that's lost, that they would get saved. We pray all of us would understand the love of the Father, the, uh, the guilt that we have before the law, and I pray you give your people uh, grace today to receive what you would have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's lost and found. God's lost and found. And the reason, of course, as we remember the parable was even spoken is because there was people that were lost. There were people that were sinners and publicans. They were being drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ according to verse number one. 
Verse number two is the murmuring of the scribes and the Pharisees over what he, the Messiah, Jesus was allowing. He was receiving sinners. He was eating with them. And so this sets, if you would, in motion, this murmuring. And uh, this application this morning is multiple, but I want to show you how this even began. How does a boy uh, in the parable, living in the father's house, living with all the joys and all the provisions that come in the father's house, how does he, how does he get the idea that there's going to be something better far away from here? That's an interesting question. If you look in verse number one, you'll find that the, this is one of two sons, verse 12, and the younger uh, of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that follow to me, and he divided unto them his living. Now, I want you to know verse number 13. And not many days, watch this, after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Now, it didn't take long. This boy apparently knew where he wanted to go. Now, he had it all planned out. <laughs> I mean, he uh, was, can I say it this way? He was lost before he left. Uh, he, he was already in his mind in the far country. Uh, he was uh, thinking about the far country. And somehow, uh, at some time in this boy's life, someone told him about the far country. Someone gave him some information, maybe some literature about, what it's like in the far country. And so the far country represents a place far away, <clears throat> far away from the father. <clears throat> and so it is a place of deception. The question we have is how did he figure this out? How did he know that there was a far country? And so this boy is dreaming about this far country. Uh, this boy wakes up and he thinks, thinks about what it's going to be like when I get to that far country. Uh, this boy, uh, is, uh, as far as his heart was, he was disconnected from the father. He was disconnected from the farm. He said, I got better plans. I've got bigger plans. And I could imagine in his mind how he would compare what his life was like in the father's house to what it must be like uh, in the far country. He would probably think that the father's house is full of nothing but chores uh, yet in the far country, man, it is nothing but culture. In the far, in the father's house, uh, man, we had to keep schedule. We had to wake up. We had to go to bed. But in the far country, man, there is, there is, there is sin, man. There is things that I could do. In the father's house, it was just boring. And uh, yet in the far country, man, there's going to be parties. Uh, there's going to be uh, revelings. There's just going to be a, a, a hoot of a time. But in the father's house, man, we got this livestock. But out there, man, they've got pop music. In the father's house, there's travail because I come in after I milk the cow, after the cow throws the milk all over the cat, and I've got to come in and clean all that mess. Now, in the far country, oh, it's different, but there's travel in the far country, not travail. The far country represented to him a place that he could go and get as far away from this house, this father's house, that he could go. So this far country has a deceptive nature to it. It's luring, it's 
pulling him. It's promising him some things that it will never, never deliver. It's promising him joy and it's going to bring pain. It's promising him fulfillment and it's going to bring emptiness. And so this promise is going to be believed by him and he's going to go and somehow he's got to get out of this house. Somehow he's got to make a decision. Somehow he's got to say, dad, I'm done with you. Now, can you just say this for a second and pretty think with me a little bit of how much power sin has over a sinner? There is power in sin. The Bible talks about the power and the bondage of sin and temptation. And sin is that blinking light. And inside our hearts is that lust. And there, it's always being pulled, if you would, into the direction of sin. That's why the Bible says, James chapter 1 and verse number 3, Let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God. For God tempteth uh, uh, no man with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he was drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You realize this, guys, that lust is trying to pull you away. Lust is trying to pull you away from your marriage. Lust is trying to pull you away from your morals. Teenagers, your desire perhaps for fulfillment is pulling you away from the Father's house. Why? It has got deceptive nature to it. It's drawing you away, pulling you into, if you would, the clutches. That's why it's very important for us to understand before this son ever left the Father's house, he was lost. I mean, before he ever left, he was thinking about it. He Listen, in a congregation this size, there are teenagers in here. You're gone. You're gone. I mean, you are already gone. You just, what you need is the opportunity to get out. And there may be even in this, and one's watching online, you're in a marriage right now, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm gone. I'm going to be out of this thing. At some time in the future, man, I am gone. I heard an illustration from C.T. Townsend. Great illustration. He said this. He says, there's an 80-20% rule. 80% of your life is good, and there's 20% of your life is not so good. And it's a pretty much a standard. It's like 20% of all of our lives say, man, that is a, I don't like that part of my life. And, and, and I, I would, as he pointed this out, he says, you know, you can live with the 20%, but you have the 80%, and it's okay. You just live with the things you don't like. It's like when a married couple comes to my, an unmarried couple comes to my office for pre-marriage counseling. You know, they're, they're living in love, man. They're going to get married. And, uh, and they're hitting, they're going to be going to Shangri-La. But they don't know they're going to World War III. Yeah. They're about ready to hit it. Are you all here? They're, they're going to hit it. And, and you try to explain it to them. And they're like, no, I love him. I was talking to an assistant pastor uh, here a couple of days ago. We were helping him do some stuff at his house. And he said to me, he says, man, and we were talking about what we had when we got married. I had a shotgun and I had a deer stand. That's all I had. And we were just joking, Lynn and I, because in my mind, all the money that comes in for your, your, your reception at the, at, 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 at your wedding day goes to your honeymoon. Well, she's thinking all that money comes in to go to the living room. And the bedroom and the kitchen to buy dishes and things. Well, I didn't think we never talked about it. No one ever told me about this. I'm saying, man, 800 bucks. Disney World, we're going, we're going to have some fun. What are you doing? So I'm taking the money. 
And he said to me, he says, you know what? I had 11 sessions of counseling, pre-marriage counseling. He says, I didn't listen to any of it. He says, I didn't realize how much I needed it until after I got married. So you got the 80%, and boy, there's a wonderful part of that. But you got that 20% you have to live with. All right? So here comes the 20%. You can't get past it. You focus on the 20% all the time. You forget the 80% of your life or the 80% of your wife or the 80% of your husband you really like, and you focus on that 20% all the time. And let's put that in any relationship. Every relationship has 20% you just don't like. But you love the 80%. Now watch this. In a marriage, all of a sudden, Miss Floozy comes in, and she just dances away in front of you. You say, man, I want her instead of this. Because I don't want to live with this 20%, even though I like the 80%. And watch this. This is how it works. That temptation draws you to what you think is going to be awesome. All right? Because you don't like the 20%. So now you get the Floozy. Okay? And you got 100% of the floozy. <laughs> and you got 0% of the 80% that you had before. Yep. Amen. Oh, that's how it works. Yep. I'm, si- I'm simply saying, as a matter of principle, there's parts of your life that you say, you know what? I don't like it all, but God's still good. Because there's 80%, 90%, 95%, man, I am loving in the Father's house. As you look at this story, there is a deceptive nature to the very beginning of this because he was, he was gone before he ever left. And in a, in a congregation this size, there are those that are already gone. There's marriages that are already gone. Say, so, Pastor, that doesn't happen. It does happen. You lose your mind. You lose your mind. You go insane. How do I know that? Because the Bible says right there, he came to himself. What does that mean? He wasn't thinking right, man. His mind was somewhere else. He wasn't in his right mind. I've said this before, and, I, and, I, and the more you read the Bible, you'll find that there is just insanity in sin. It's just insane. It makes you think things. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do because it's got deceptive nature. It's got a deceptive quality to it that pulls you in. And that's the far country. And so this boy says, I got to go. I am done with the father's house. So this brings up this plan. What am I going to do? I mean, I don't have anything and I want to get out of here. So he comes up with a plan that was legal to do. Look at verse 11. Verse number 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. So the request of the younger son is his ticket out. I'm going to get one third because the law states two thirds will go to the older son. But one third will go to the, the, the younger son. So he said, I got at least one third of the estate. So I'm computing things up you know he's going out to the barn he's saying that cow's worth this much money this barn's worth this much money and that tool's worth this much money i got this much money in my pocket y'all with me he's adding things up and so he comes to his father with this shocking request can you imagine the father sitting here he knew this boy's gone man he's he he knew he was gone it was a matter of time 
I mean, this boy is just talking back. This boy is showing nothing but pride and, and, and a selfishness. And, and this boy's all about himself. And this, this dad had to know it. It's a matter of time. And he comes to his father and he says, Father, I want you to give me what is mine, which is, wasn't his. It was the father's. And there's no argument on the part of the father. The, the father just gave him. Now, for most of us, say, hit the pike, pal. I'm not going to give you one-third of the inheritance. This shows an incredible amount of grace and love on the part of the father to actually give him what he wanted. Now, let me lay this down here because I think it's important for us to see this. Do you realize if you want to mess your life up, God will let you do it. He will. I mean, he may even give you the resources to do it. I mean, this boy had nothing unless the father gave it to him. And the shocking request from the son to the father is very interesting because it was saying to the dad, I wish you were dead. That's really what it was. It was legal for him to come while the father was alive. It was very insulting because typically an inheritance is given after the death of the father. And so for him to come to his father and say, Father, I want you to give me, I'm treating you as if you are dead. I don't want you in my life. I am tired of you. I don't want you to be a part of my life. I want to be free from you and your control. Listen, this can be repeated over and over again in families and in churches. As you look here, this uh, represents the lost man's attitude to God as the lost man is receiving from God the very breath that he breathes and he doesn't want anything to do with God. The selfish request. I wish you were dead. I've had parents tell me that their kids have told them these very words. They say parental sorrow is the greatest sorrow you can have. Parental joy is the greatest joy that you can have. Before a child to come to a father or a mother and say, I really am okay without you in my life. A selfish, selfish request. Give me. Give me. It's mine. His life is wrapped up within himself. He cares for no one else but what is good for him. And the father says, okay. Now, not many days after the younger son took his journey to a far country, that means, I mean, you're not putting stuff on Craigslist and getting top dollar for this stuff. Are you all here? Not putting a Facebook marketplace out there. No, it's, it's, a, it's a quick sale. I have to go, hey, uh, can you come in and do a quick sale on this stuff? And this stuff's going for wholesale prices. The inheritance. 10 cents on the dollar, 20 cents on the dollar. He's taking a huge loss to get this boy what he wanted. Wow. Do you realize God took a huge, a huge loss to give you what you need? And coming down from heaven and dying on the cross, what a huge loss that would be. Suffering for the sins of many? What a God. So the attitude is, give me care what you what you have in it just give it to me 
It's a, it's a sinner that says to God, I don't care about you. I'll take your air. I'll take your food, your water. I'll even take your time. You want to give me a blessing? I'll take that too. But I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to pray to you. I don't want to read your Bible. I don't want to go to your church. I want nothing to do with you, God, but thank you for the breath of air you gave me. Are y'all here this morning? This is a selfish, pitiful attitude that man has to God. Number one, there's a deceptiveness in the far country. Number two, the request of this lost son was a shocking request. Number three, there's a journey that starts. I'm on my journey. Well, this guy's on a journey, all right. He's on a journey. So he starts, pocket full of money. Must have felt pretty good, man. He's walking away from the farm. He's got a pocket full of money. He's been dreaming about this for years. He's probably got a far country magazine under his arm. I know where I'm going first. I mean, he's ready. Pocket full of money, no rules. No one telling him what to do. Really no restraints. Man, I get to drink all night. I got to party all night. I don't have to go to bed. No one's telling me when to wake up. No one's telling me when to go to bed. This is awesome. And the son gets just what he wants, but he's on a journey. Verse 13 says, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together. See, let me just kind of cat. That's mine. That's mine. You get this attitude. That's mine. That's mine. Nope, that's mine. Give that to me. That's mine too. One third. Every, no, half of that. No, one third. That's mine. I'll take it all. Are you all here? You get this selfish attitude. Kick this kid. I'm going to duct tape him to the back of a cow. I have no idea where that came from. It just came to my mind. I've been kicked by one of those things, and they hurt. And tell me about the kicking of the cows on the side. So I'm thinking, because I watched Little House of the Prairie, I never stood behind a cow. And then when I found out that they do kick on the side after I got slammed by a Hereford cow, full-grown Hereford cow, in the shin, I walk into the house. Say, Lynn, I just got kicked by the cow. Well, what happened? I was standing right next to it. Oh, why, oh yeah, well, the, they kick off to the side. So why didn't you tell me that? I said, I don't know these things. Thank you, Lynn. Big old... I'm, I could barely put my pants on that thing. Knotted up bad. I, ducked it. I, I do that here. All right. I'm gone, he says. And there wasted a substance with riotous living... In verse 14, and when he had spent all. Now, here's a journey. Journey. He comes in. Boy, the, the people come out of the woodwork. New kid in town. New kid in town. Look at him. They could tell. Listen, the world can tell you're naive, man. And it will wipe you out. They'll take you for everything that you have. Are you all with me this morning? This journey is man's sin's pleasure. So he takes the grace of his father, squanders it on living for himself, self-indulging his life, riotous living, which basically means a festive indulgence, party after party after party. In other words, this boy left home. He left behind all of his moral restraints. I do not have to do that anymore. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. My way. Old Franco, Frank Sinatra, 
The Bible makes a statement here in Hebrews eleven twenty five that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Was he having a good time? You better believe he was. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. This boy's living it up, and he's having a good time. Oh, it's miserable out there. No, it's not. Oh, it's great for a while because it says for a season. You know, it's pretty exciting probably if you're in the middle of a plane crash, if you're not thinking that the plane's going to crash. Papers flying up in the air. Zero gravity. Both engines out. Woo, this kind of feels like a Cedar Point ride. But you're at terminal velocity and you're heading to the ground. You just have to fast forward the clock from where you are. You find out you're going to be gone. And as I look at this boy, the journey very interestingly starts off pretty good. Man, he's got a pocket full of money. He's intent on pleasing himself and himself only. He doesn't think about loss. He doesn't think about pain. He doesn't think about anyone else. It's all about him. Self-pleasing. It's the very essence of sin. But it's going to get very expensive. Because it's going to keep digging into pockets for more. Hey, can you buy me another beer? Can you buy me another drink? Let's play another round of quarters. Take her upstairs and let's go get another round. Let's work it a little bit, boys. Have a good old time. Turn the music up. I'm going to be the last one to leave. I'm going to be on the dance floor. Whatever it is that this boy, he is living for himself and is going to get expensive. It's life in the fast lane. Self-pleasing. No care for anyone but himself. That's the journey that he's on. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that when someone wants to sin, you're not going to hold it back. You're not going to be the one that says, don't do it, and for them to listen. That's why it's almost very frustrating as a parent. Don't! Wake up! Stop! You're going the wrong way. Dad, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Step aside. It's to the adulterer as he's committing adultery on his wife. He's in a self-indulgent period. He's not thinking about consequences. He's not thinking about anyone else. He's not thinking about divorce. He's not thinking about alimony. He's not thinking about the kids. He's not thinking about his name. He's not thinking about the future. He's thinking about her. Or she is thinking about him. Or you are thinking about that thing. It's a life of self-indulgence. But it does have a price. And money's going to run out. Life will run out. The youth and vitality that you have is going to be gone. The beauty that you have is going to be gone. The friends that you think you have, they're going to be leaving like rats on a sinking ship. Gone. And when he had spent all, wow. For us to stop right there and say, okay, boy, time to get home. I mean, you lived it up. Your one-third of your father's inheritance is gone. Friends are gone. What do you say? Eh, not quite yet. 
Why don't we bring a famine into this story? By the way, God makes no mistakes in putting supernatural events in your life to get your attention. It just it doesn't. Okay? Try to understand from a, big, a biblical perspective, if God is working on that situation, he may be sending something to even get worse for them. Don't bail it out. You all here? But I love him. I understand that. The father loved the son, but he wasn't ready to come home. Why do you know that? How do you know that? Well, because after the famine, look in verse number, is it verse 11? Is that where, yeah, verse 14. He says, and there arose a mighty famine in that land. This is a supernatural God-sent event for this boy. Everyone else had to suffer the famine because of this boy. God is working on his heart. And it's, hey, hey, son, it ain't working out for you. You're not going to fight against God and expect to win. It's going to get harder and harder for you. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. It's just a hard life. So he goes here and he gets this famine that's now in the land. And when a famine comes, there's no food. There's no corn. There's no, there's nothing. The the livestock are dead because there's no water. Typically it's a drought. There's no livestock. There's no food. And so he doesn't have any money. He has nothing left. And he begins to be in one. Now it's starting to get his attention. Why? He's going through the stomach. Any boy understands, boy, you start going without a couple meals. You get concerned. Are you all here? And he began to be in one. He's lonely here. Not broke. I mean, broken. He's broke, but he's not broken. He's, he's, he's lonely. Miles away from his father. Still full of pride. He just begins to be in want. Hungry. And you find here that he doesn't get what he thought he would get. Didn't work out. The hatred for that perhaps 20% of his life really brought a whole lot more heartache and misery than he was anticipating. Do you realize the devil does pay dividends for living for him? Oh, yeah. He pays with broken lives. He pays with regret. He pays with shattered dreams. He pays with damaged trust and health problems and hopelessness and depression and defeat and death and all a part of the pay package of sin. He's on a journey. He says, okay, I, I'm in a mess. I made a mess of my life, but I'm not going home. Oh, no, 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 no. The Bible says, verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Wow, that country. What's that country? Far country. I'm not going home. Do you realize this? At any point in this mess, the first time he spent that dirt, whatever, that dirt, that that coin or whatever it was. So you know what? First time he had that sip of alcohol, whoa, I'm done. First time he had a hangover after the night before. The first time he had maybe a situation that his father warned him of. The first time he said, I'm done. This is, this is not fulfilling. I'm getting out of here. No, he doesn't go home. 
It only gets worse and worse and worse until he comes to a place where now it's very, very painful, shameful for him to do what he's about to do. Sir, um, I'm a Jewish boy. I live, my father's house is quite a distance from here and I'm hungry. Uh, Can I have some work to, to eat? I'm a Gentile. Jew coming to a Gentile. You don't want me to give you food. Sure, go out into the barn, feed the pigs, you Jew. Now it's getting even more shameful. (sighs) Man. So he's there. He stooped to a low level of a swine. Totally forbidden to even touch it. And he's eating with them. Not even eating the food because there's nothing left. He just wishes he could have some of the husks. Shame. Wasted life. Wasted youth. Wasted opportunities. Disgrace. All your finances and are gone, your fitness is gone, your young vitality is gone, your family's gone, your friends are gone, and here you are. Dad told me this would happen. My preacher said this could happen. Now there's no home, no help, and no hope. And he's suffering. Can I say it right here? Good. 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 Because God's going to use that suffering to get right to that spiritual heart of his. Verse 17. Verse 16 is interesting. Verse 16. And he would vain have filled his belly with the husk the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. You realize, hey, I got a Jew boy out there feeding the swine. He's starving. Can't, can't believe it. Can't believe a Jewish boy would come to my farm, out of all farms, and be out there. I ain't going to give it to him. That's a, that's a crazy thing. I won't, I won't, I'm not going to give a thing. No man gave unto him. Not even out of pity. Wow. Good. It's good. You got to go low. Then lower. And some, even lower. And to the degree of the lowness that you have to go is really your choice. Your choice. And verse 17, when he came to himself, now I'm going to wrap this up because I'm running out of time. When he came to himself, he said, that's the first thing's on his mind. How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about melted butter over cornbread. He's, he's thinking about an inch and a quarter in steak. Fried to perfection on that grill. Seasoned. 
You know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about that homemade bread coming out of that oven. Mama's saying, boys, it's time to eat. He's thinking about that cold iced tea. He's thinking about that okra, those baked beans. He's thinking about home. Boy, even the servants have enough food that even when they're all done, there's enough to spare. And the same, if you would, planning that it took for him to get to the far country, he begins to plan through repentance how I get back to the father's house. Verse 18. Here's the plan. I will arise. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. I know that. But if you can make me as one of thy hired servants, that'd be okay. If that's, that's the shepherd version. I added a little ver- words there. You understand that. Make me as, I'm, oh, I know that I'm not one of your sons anymore. I've, I've ruined that. I'm not even worthy to be called thy son. If you, if you just made me as one of the hired servants, I'd be okay with that. If, if I could sleep in the servants' quarters, I could eat the servants' food, but I want to come home. He did this when he came to himself. So verse 20 says, he arose and came to his father, but, I like that conjunction there, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. (laughs) How does that happen? What are the chances? Father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, no, 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 before you go into this any further, I want you just to wrap your mind around how much it took for this boy to get home. Because when you look at, look in Deuteronomy chapter 21, real fast, Deuteronomy 21. Keep your finger there in the book of Luke. God showed me this this week, and I just wanted to run around the chair for about three minutes or five minutes and just rejoice. But look at Deuteronomy 21. This boy's coming home. He's tired of the far country. We, we know that he's walking. He has no shoes. He's thin. He is starve, starving. He's malnutrition. He has got the most disgusting smell on his body, not in addition to his own odor. He's got the swine mud and all that filth all over him. This is a picture of total disgrace, filthy, dirty fingernails, matted hair, filthy face. He is, he is, he smells like the swine. He smells like the barn. He smells like the excrement that comes from the swine, the urine from trying to make this really understand what he looked like coming back. But he came back because he realized that's the only hope I have. If I don't get back, I'm done. So he's making up his mind. He repents. He says, I've sinned. And I love the wording here. I've sinned against heaven. You know, it's one thing to sin against your wife, guys. But you're sinning against God when you commit adultery on her. It's one thing to sin, ladies, 
against your husband, but you are sinning against an almighty God. Teenagers, one thing to sin against mom and dad by saying, I'm rebelling against you, but you are beyond that. You are sinning against a holy God. Are y'all here? This is a preaching of righteousness. There is a divine standard that God has. So he says, I'm going home and I'm going home now. So he heads home. And he arose and came to his father, verse 20. Oh, I, I got you. Where do I have you? Deuteronomy. Look at verse 18. Oh, this is good. I may have a Baptocostal fit on this one. Amen. Verse 18. Whew. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son. Okay, that's where it starts right there. If you've got a rebellious, stubborn son, what do you do? In the Old Testament, what do you do? Okay. Which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. And that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. How many have ever had this happen in your family? We all have had that happen, right? Okay. Okay. In the Old Testament, there was a different economy on how they dealt with that. Verse number 19. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him. And that means he's probably a young man. And shall bring him out unto the elders of his city. And unto the gate of his place. So there is a, there's a location that this boy that is going to be rebellious to his mom. That they bring him out. And this boy right here, he will not listen to us. Son, we've tried to help you. We've tried to reach you. We've tried to chasten you. You give us no choice. We have to do this. And there's a reason. Because in, the ne- in verse 21... And uh, the Bible says, thou shalt put evil away from among you. This is a re- There's a reason why they were doing this. But look in verse number 20. And they shall say unto the elders of a city, this is our son, a stubborn. Can I just stop right here for a second? Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, be careful of stubbornness. It is a deadly sin. R- listen, anything in your life. Realize you could be wrong in anything in life. Don't be so stubborn that you're going to mess your life off up because you want to be right. You may be wrong. Are you all here? Why is it getting quiet in here? Are you all with me on that? It is a huge connection to rebellion. Stubbornness is as a sin of witchcraft. Now watch this. Stubborn rebellious, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Now how many understand? That would probably fit the description of the younger son under Jewish law. Am I correct? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Who said that? Joyce. Thank you. But verse 21, and all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So that, that, so shalt thou put evil away from among you and all Israel shall hear in fear. So all Israel's going to know this. Okay. Oh, wow. You realize what they happened in that village over there? One of the boys had to be brought. Man, they stoned him, killed him. Yeah. Wow. But we have to do that to keep things clean. I said, yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, we don't do that here. I'm just saying, this is what, listen, this boy's going home. You know what he's thinking about? I'm going to get killed. I'm going to be killed. Jewish law. Now look back at Luke chapter 15. This is good, man. 
Now listen to this. Luke 15 in verse number 18. I will rise and go to my father. Verse 19. And no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Now watch this. His father in verse 20. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. You know, it would be quite a humiliating thing in those days for a father in a robe to run any distance. But if he didn't get to that boy before the elders of the city got to that boy, That boy was dead. You know what that is? That's grace. I better get to him before the law condemns him to die. That's grace that the Lord Jesus Christ will look out and see that sinner. Say, I better get there. The law's after them. And if the law is carried out, that sinner's going to die. And I've got to get to that sinner. I've got to get to that son before they get to him. Can you get the picture here? When that son was wrapped in the arms of his father, that family could not stone him. That elders, because he could not stone the father, watch this, they were protecting. Oh, man. If you don't appreciate the grace of God in your life, that what the law condemned you to be, and that what grace has done for you, you ought to just thank God for God's love for you, seeing you, having compassion, running to get you. That's the propitiation, Christ becoming a propitiation of our sins, a go-between. Brother Smith, I got him. I got him. I'm I'm the propitiation for this boy. No one's touching him. And when you get saved, you get in Christ, there's a, there's a go-between. There's a protection from the wrath of Almighty God. And I'll say this, and this is a blessing as you understand this. You understand, the very God that will judge you for your sin is the very God that hopes and prays, well, not prays, he hopes and desires that you come to him for forgiveness and grace. Because he doesn't want to judge you. Because he loves you. And he wants to give you grace. And he wants to run to you and have compassion and protect you. Can you imagine this boy? That's why he was a great way off. I better get to him before they get to him. Why would they, why would they come? They heard about him. The elder son heard about it. The whole town talked about it. We all heard it this morning. They knew who he was. And they had every biblical right to kill the kid. Because they didn't want their land to be polluted, especially coming in looking like that and smelling like that, bringing pig slop into our town. Father found him and said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go and I want you to get a robe. We're going to cover this boy up. We're going to put a rope around him. We're going to make him pure. We're not going to see this filth. We're going to see a rope. We're going to bring a ring 
We're going to put it on him. We're going to kiss him. And if you've never been kissed by God, oh boy. When you feel accepted, when the law demanded death, God gives you a kiss. Because I love you. Oh, he found restoration. He found a place of purity now. And that robe is going to cover everything. That pig pen made him look like. And he's going to cover him. He's going to put a ring on his hand. He's going to put shoes on his feet. And he's going to kill that fatty calf. And we're going to have a time of rejoicing because he was lost and is found and began to be merry. Now, scribes and Pharisees, I know you don't understand this, but this is God. Can you imagine the murmuring? What is he talking about? A pig, scum. What are you dealing with? Yeah, that's who you don't know. He loves you. He loves these publicans and these sinners. And there's just a couple of applications finishing with just a couple of sentences. Maybe you're here. And you got a far country magazine tucked under your arm and you got it under your pillow and you're looking forward to the day you can get out. You're going on a very lonely journey. Just a matter of time. You're already gone. You better wake up before you go. Stop it. Stop the rebellion. Stop the stubbornness. Humble yourself before a holy God. It is a safe place to I don't like the 20%. You'll love it later. Stay. Okay, I'm in the hog pen. I'm watching online. I'm in the hog pen. Will God forgive me? Yes, he will. He loves you. In my filth, he knows what I've done. Yes, he knows what you've done. He will, he will come to you. He will run to you. And he'll gather you. And he'll restore you. And he'll give you a home. So where are you this morning? If you're lost, you're on your way to hell, you can get saved. Saved by the grace of God because the law is going to condemn you to death. The law is going to take you to hell. And you deserve it. All of us deserve because of salvation, because of sin. We deserve hell. But grace comes and forgives. And maybe you need to go home today.